Okay. All right, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is James Musker, and he's just published a book. The title is The New World Religion and the Beliefs of the Elite. Uh, I heard his name on an interview on Brandon Schwinn's Cast Em Off Radio, and I listened with great interest. So I asked him for an interview, and he kindly agreed. So I'm glad to have him here. James, are you there? Yes, I am. Thanks awesome. for having me. Thank you, James. And yeah, we're recording all the way. You're in uh, the UK, so you know it's uh, it's about a nine hour, eight hour difference. But I would suspect some most of my audience audience probably doesn't know about you. So before we get into the the in you know the chapters of the book, can you talk a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in the subject? Yes, well, after 9-11, there were a lot of uh, questions that need to be answered. And so um, I started to study conspiracy. Previous to that, I was very keen on uh, Christianity, and I spent many years um, studying that to quite a high degree, I suppose. I took a degree in that, and um, I also went to Bible college. Um, All of these things, though, after 9-11, led me to believe that the economic and political situation that we were going into uh, needed to be sort of sorted out what was going on in the world today. So I spent a great deal of time um, researching many different facets of the New World Order. And uh, and so there we are, decided that the economic and political situation that we face today, uh, the game is kind of over in terms of us being able to make any inroads into the uh, what's going on politically and economically. But religion, as the third leg of the stool uh, that Peter Drucker mentions in his three-legged stool uh, concept, that if uh, economics, politics and religion are all together with one one leg on each of the stools, then uh, each is compatible to the other. But the religious aspect to the rollout of the New World Order, um, I was very keen to study, and so I started to read everything that I could about that over the course of many years, and eventually decided to write a book about it, because there was still a gaping gap there um, about things that people didn't know about. Yeah, I mean, and it's a, I read the book, it's a fantastic book, so I commend you for for writing that, and I think it's important because... This is information you don't, at least in the States, you don't get at a public school. You know, you, this is something associated with either uh, elite circles or, or secret societies and things like that. So these backgrounds, I think, for you know, getting a background understanding of this information is very important. So maybe that's how we can start is uh, talk about how you know, the, the ideas that are going to form this new world religion, how, where did they come from? Yes, well... Um Obviously, the long-term plan for the cryptocracy, the hidden government, is to bring us into this sort of Luciferian religion. Um, But in order for us to eventually reach that position, there are a lot of different beliefs that they need us to slowly be dragged into. And so, as usual, the cryptocracy use a number of subtle techniques and uh, processes in order to uh, uh, make us become believers in their in their systems. So um, I mention in the book some of the 
belief systems that will make up the future New World religion. And I also talk about the beliefs of the hidden government. Um, so there's Freemasonry, there's Hermeticism, there's obviously Luciferianism. Those are probably the main three religious beliefs that perhaps um, you can see. Uh -huh. William, yourself, uh, having studied a lot of Crowleyism and, and Thelema, that this is perhaps an area that uh, is also present within the cryptocracy. They are, yeah. I would agree. After all, yeah. A, a, so, a, a facet of it, for sure, yeah, Crowleyism. Yes, so we can maybe look at the 9-11 um, numbers, uh, which, it, which fits in exactly with Alistair Crowley's belief systems and Thelema. Um, but also, I mentioned that the New World religion, the centre of it, will be uh, dark green religion. It's a type of uh, very uh, diverse belief that is along the lines of uh, we're all connected with nature and that it's linked in with environmentalism and the ecology and that the future world religion will be an excuse to manage us under a, uh, a sort of environmental construct okay. so that we are able to be managed um, in, in every way. So the centre of the New World religion is really uh, an earth pagan <laughs> mother goddess religion. Right. I think you termed it Gaian animism too, like uh, worshipping the earth. And I mean, I think that's, that's definitely one part of it. And you can see, I think you can tie that into kind of Al Gore's fear-based thing about global warming you know i think that that's part of it like this world is going wrong we need to change that but it's also i mean i we were also at least in california, california we're supposed to be under an ice shelf by 2013 but um i think that he's part of that he's part of one of these new world order types who is uh you know terrifying the public to facilitate gradual change Absolutely. Al Gore, in his book, you have to be quite, uh, well, not clever, but you need to be aware of these things in order to make uh, the realization. But he is keen that mankind will enter into this utopian society by um, beliefs that he slightly touches upon. So he's keen to take uh, humanity into this environmental situation where those beliefs uh, are, are being formed. So he mentions um, the New World religion in terms of the fact that there's an evolutionary sort of paradigm, there's a shift that um, we will go through in order to arrive at this utopian state. And once you, you know that, you will see it all over the place, uh, the concept of man reaching for the stars or mankind uh, entering into the utopian state via lucifer or via knowledge and um so al gore he's definitely part of that and it is in his writings his main book being um i mention it uh yeah i can't remember what yeah, it's called okay. actually but yeah but i mean he 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 he's part of that this trace goes back i was interesting because you brought up julian huxley's international union for the conservation of nature and he was a huge part of unesco and the un so this, these notions of man governing the earth aren't, aren't unique to Al Gore, right? Absolutely. You can see it um, all over the place. And so the United Nations 
they are keen to promote the uh, One World Religion via the United Religious Initiative back you, in 1990. Yeah. yeah, can you talk about the URI, please? Yes, the United Religions Initiative was originally started with um, Gillian uh, Sorensen back in 1993. She is a Council on Foreign Relations member, and she went up to Bishop William Swing, who was part of the Episcopal Church, um, not probably that far from yourself, William, in San Francisco. Gotcha. And, That's where yeah. I grew up. I grew up in San Francisco, so I know that area. Yeah, right. So he is based in the Mexican compound, the uh, um, where the um, uh, where the United Nations is. But anyway, Julian Sorensen went to uh, Bill Swing and said, "Look, uh, we we would like you to start in two years' time this United Religions Initiative," and that's what they started in 1995. It slowly rolled out. The first interfaith service was held exactly 50 years on the anniversary. On, of the signing of the UN Charter. And this is why it's linked in with the UN. Not only is it promoted by the Council of Foreign Relations, but it's basically endorsed and funded by United Nations groups who um, are 100% linked in behind the agenda. So that uh, United Religions Initiative, the concept there is that they will draw all the religions together slowly and imperceptibly so that they can create a new type of religion, basically. They, they, they will say, Bishop Swing, that they're not starting a new religion. But it's interesting to note that at the start, he went around to, to all the heads of various religions. So he went off to Israel to speak to rabbis. He went off to Protestant. He came to Britain and he went all around the world to speak to religious heads and said, look, I, I'm starting this United Religions Initiative, come and join with me, <laughs> to which they said, sorry, we don't like the sound of that. Right. And he, yeah, he admits that, um, uh, the, he realised that the United Religions Initiative, the, the theory behind the, all the religions joining together will really have to come from the grassroots. So he started then to go around to or the you know believers at the bottom, as it were, and then work his way up rather than go from the top down. Right. So, so all the leaders. What, it's basically yeah. ecumenism, right? I mean, that's what they're promoting. This new yes, it, it is. It, it's interfaith, interfaithism, and the the long term strategy. Uh, but this is not really a Uri, But the long term strategy overall is for Protestants basically to join in with Catholicism and Catholicism and Hinduism and Buddhism to join together and then into Islam, Christianity and Islam to form Chrislam and then go on to form uh, a, a type of earth worship and then from there go on to form um, a Luciferian religion. So this is what we're slowly seeing, the greying out of religions all over the world, bringing them in to, together and it will really be a type of control network whereby they can keep control of the masses. You see, part of their belief is, part of what their thinking is, the elite, um, the cryptocracy, is that religions are causing all the world's uh, 
um, problems, all the war- world's wars. It's, it's actually them that's doing it, but they like to play that game that it's um, religions. And, and, and this is why we have this concept of bad and good Islam. If, they can, if they're not promoting or highlighting the difference between good and bad Islam, then they can't make the Hegelian, they can't get the two conflicting sides together to form the synthesis. So on the, on the one side, they've been promoting good Islam. Islam's a religion of peace and trying to convert everyone to Islam. And then on the other side, they have been... Uh, uh, advancing the causes of bad Islam, typically Al Qaeda and ISIS and all of these. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah those are funded groups. We know that. We know, from, that. Uh, no doubt. Yeah. So they're funding both sides, as always, the cryptocracy, in order to make their controlled uh, um, uh, conclusion. Part part of which also is um, to do with fundamentalism. If you're having an argument about fundamentalism, you'll always end up probably talking about Islam and how bad it is that there's ISIS and Al-Qaeda. So if they can stop people from being orthodox, I don't like the term fundamental because, you know, if being a Christian fundamental, what does that really mean? It's, a, it's not really the right term. Orthodoxy, which means that you believe the doctrines and the, and the dogmas of the Bible and you take it all fairly seriously. That, that's fine. But if you... If, they're always pushing the envelope to try to make people not be keen on their belief. And that's why another side agenda to the real main agenda of good and bad Islam. And that's why we've got Tony Blair and uh, John Kerry, two people who we know are high up within the cryptocracy, um, advancing the good Islam side of it. That's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Kerry. Kerry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable that, uh, what is it? Bush ran against Gore in 2000, and then Kerry 2004. Both on on Bush, George Bush Jr. himself, all of them part of the cryptocracy. You know. Yes. Well, they were both Skull and Bones members, and so you know, 15 people per year. They're over 30 years. That's probably only about 100, uh, yeah, 450 people or something. Out of those 450 people. Or two American presidents, you know, no conspiracy there. No conspiracy, <laughs> just two skull and bones guys. What are they, brothers under the skin, as they say, I think. Yeah, all right, yes, that's Something interesting. Like that. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> yeah, so you see this cryptocracy in action, and I think that, you know, the UN, you had a fascinating article just about how the UN and these individuals are shaping it in an occult manner with this Ark of Hope and the Earth Charter and its history. Um, and, and here you have Maurice Strong. And these guys all use these kind of religious terms, you, you know. And I think that was fascinating as well in your book, the, the idea of a Pentecost, you know, this kind of uh, usurping Christian terms for this Luciferian change that's going to happen. But maybe you can talk about Maurice Strong and, and the foundation of the United Nations. Well, yes, Morris Strong is an interesting uh, character within this story. He was very high up within the United Nations for a very long time. He died a couple of years ago in China when he got caught trying to uh, take a bribe, or he did take a bribe, and then he ended up uh, living in China a bit disgraced. Um, He joined up forces basically with Mikhail Gorbachev um, after the fall of the Soviet 
era. And he was a Canadian who made a lot of money through energy and he worked within the United Nations. There's evidence that the Rockefeller spotted him and he became really one of their sort of darlings of their cause. He was in the Aspen Institute, which is heavily linked to the Trilateral Commission, uh, which is a major think tank, humanistic think tank uh, on the behaviour of man. And he was, a, he's been a big promoter, really, of the um, New World religion in terms of the uh, setting up uh, the um, the Ark of Hope, which he promoted along with um, Stephen Rockefeller, who was given the uh, task of sort of being at the head of carrying it from Vermont over to the United Nations building in 2002. Um, Morris Strong, he, he wrote quite a few books about, which were based, basically they were New Age books. He said that his uh, sort of spiritual guru was, um, there, there are several of them, you've got, uh, Dag Hammarskjöld, um, and you've got uh, uh, Pierre Tillard de Chardin, who was a Jesuit-trained Catholic uh, missionary, who we can look at a bit, uh, in a bit. But yeah, Morris Strong, he was central to this, um, to the climate change hoax that we've been subjected to since about 1986, and um, he also helped to write the Earth Charter. The Earth Charter may seem like a bit of a, a non-event, but it is supposedly the uh, prototype of the New World Order uh, Constitution. It speaks about um, how we should all be planetary citizens, um, how we should respect and uh, prevent pollution, uh, which is something we all we all want to not pollute and and make sure that the earth is looked after. But the, the trouble is that the cryptocracy of which he was part of, they are keen to use the environmental uh, excuse as a method of managing us. So, yeah, the earth charter's there. It's, um, it's really a, a method of bringing us into their technocratic Fabianist society, their Masonic society. So... And, and the UN. What, yeah. I mean, can you talk a little bit more in detail about the Ark of Hope, what it was, and why its importance, and and kind of the occult nation, the occult nature of the United Nations with its uh, meditation room and things like that. Yes, that's great, uh, William. The Ark of Hope was a, a made-up uh, um, uh, structure to look. Well, it, it's it's like the the Ark of the Covenant. You might have seen it in. Um, in the, in the in the films and things so on each side of the ark of hope it's like a square box which has um poles going through which are 96 inches long and they are said to be unicorns horns and on each of the sides of the ark of hope there is a drawing of one of the elemental uh, forces so you've got water spirit air earth and fire and each one of these is said to represent a religion. They said that it was a sort of magical place, that the Ark of, the Ark of Hope was a sort of magical place where they could all meet, and it's yeah. a place where the New World religion basically does have a symbol, and that is the Ark of Hope. It, it is in the United 
nation's building. And um, yeah, it's remarkable. And those are the five points of the pentagram too: is earth, air, fire, water, and spirit. Yeah, so it's a, yes. it kind of correlates the thing. But then the, it's in. There's also the UN itself is actually a monolith, and they, the the cryptocracy loves this monolithic symbol. And so you see that there's like the monolith that was close to and and the United Nations was funded and, and founded on land provided by the Rockefellers, right? So yes, uh, there's a very strong key for the Rockefellers through the Bushes, UN, Maurice Strong, Kissinger, all these guys, and this occultism and and, and Thirty Rock has all kinds of occult symbolism, so symbols that tie back to Theosophy and the idea of Prometheus as uh, the symbol of Lucifer, right? The, the bringer of, of fire to the people. So yes. they're, they're super occult. And then this, this can you talk about the, the meditation room in the United Nations? Yes. It, it was Doug Hammarskjöld who Alice Bailey said in the 1930s, he, he said that there would be a disciple and that, uh, that basically was him. He was general secretary in the UN from 1953 to 1961. And he developed the meditation room um, at the UN headquarters in, in New York. And so inside that room is a, a, a very heavy black hematite rock stone altar. It's, it weighs about six and a half tons. And on one side of that room, there's also a, uh, a painting, which is in the style of Picasso. And the esoteric meaning of that painting is, is that there's a chink of light coming all the way through the center of the painting. It represents the emergence of Lucifer. The Lucis Trust, which was started by Alice Bailey in 1922, it was called the Lucifer Trust. You probably know, know right, that. Yeah. And then they changed, they changed its name a few years later. But the Lucis Trust used to look after the rooms, those meditation rooms, which were the UN. It's incredible, right? It's incredible. Wow. And um, there used to be, there was uh, Shri Chinmoy, who was the New Age priest, who used to hold twice weekly ceremonies in the room. He was invited by um, Uthant, one of the general secretaries. He's a Theravada Buddhist, uh, Uthant was. And um, he used to hold these meetings there, but it it was really um, New Age religion that they used to hold. So... Right. Doug Hammarskjöld started the meditation room. It's still there. You can go and see it. I. It's not Christian. It's not any other religion. It's New Age. It shouldn't really be there. And this is, for me, this is the real smoking gun behind all of this story about the, the, the New World religion. And that is, is that if the UN were secular and they were taking us into a totally secular world, well, why are they promoting? Why, they'd be doing secular things, but why are they promoting the, um, you know, this extraordinary Ark of the Covenant gone wrong with the Ark of the Hope? Right. Why are they promoting this meditation room? And why is practically all of their general secretaries and practically all of the most important writings about them infused with New Age religion? Yeah, it's extraordinary. Point. It is extraordinary. And my understanding is that cube, that black cube, represents the cube of Saturn, right? So there's a uh, yes. in between that as well. And Dag Hammarskjöld, he died in a mysterious plane crash in Africa, if I remember correctly. He kind of, yes. I, don't, I don't know if that was a questionable uh, crash. Do you know more about how he died? 
No, I don't yeah. actually. Because no. I've heard that that was that was very suspicious. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's the UN itself. It's it really just the background and the architecture is really something else. It's incredible. Yes. And uh, I mean, you can see this loosest trust is there that ties itself back to Blavatsky, right? So. You're talking yes. about ISIS unveiled and all of these occult books from the 19th century that is uh, yes. theosophic ideas that are influencing, you know, this new religion. It's incredible. That's right. Well, Robert Mueller even said um, that he, Robert Mueller was another UN uh, member high up within the UN for many, many years. He even he was unashamedly promoted his world core curriculum, and he said that it was based upon the writings of Alice Bailey. Correct. Uh, and so, yeah, it is. And he, it, I mean, he wrote all kinds of. He was published all kinds of different books too. He was like an Alsatian or something like one of these guys close to the German border, right? I mean, he was actually French, right? Uh, yes, he might have been. Yes, French or Belgian. Yeah. Uh, Businesses are having to shift strategies to keep meeting the needs of everyone they serve, customers, employees, and citizens. With IBM Watson, you can infuse AI into existing workflows to predict future outcomes, automate decisions and processes, and optimize employees' time for higher-value work. For more information on IBM Watson, visit www.ibm.com backslash Watson. The safe yeah. passage of into the 21st century, the birth of a global civilizations, desire to be human, global rec- reconnaissance of human perspectives, perspectives in an age of transformation, and uh, in honor of Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. So that name pops up again. Yes. Well, yes, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, he died in 1955, and he was a Jesuit-trained Catholic priest. He was a missionary in China. He was a very interesting chap. He was involved in the Piltdown Man hoax, probably unwitting, I think. Um, but he, he wrote a book called The Phenomenon of, Phenomena of Man, which is about how man is slowly becoming back to the Godhead, back to Christ. He, he spoke about the coming of the cosmic Christ and his the concluding vision of his uh, concepts were the omega point where in the future man has evolved to know God. The trouble was with, with um, Shadat, uh, Tila de he just went a little bit too far in this concept of knowing God. And he actually said that they would become God. And of course, that, that's that. <laughs> that little bit more there is quite a big bit more, but that, um, that, that takes, took it. Yeah, right. It takes us back full full circle back to Genesis, right? The original "You shall be as gods," which you do reference in your book. Yes, and uh, yes, it this concept ties in with um, Luciferianism, which is really a sort of religion that emerged probably in the last 200 years although to some degree it was already around before but it's it's based upon a twisted commentary of genesis um where you have the serpent going to eve and saying um uh, you know if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you will become like god and that is 
where it all started to go wrong. But the view that the Luciferians take is, is that they think that Satan and Lucifer, the same sort of same thing in their view, well, they're the same thing to everyday people, but they're not quite the same to people who are Luciferians. But they take the view that Lucifer did mankind a favor by providing Eve with the tree so that they could know knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. Oftentimes they will take out that latter phrase. They'll take out good and evil and interpret it as the serpent providing knowledge to man. Uh, Leary used to quote that, but he would leave out, uh, Timothy Leary, he he would leave that out. One of the interesting things about, just to go back to Tyler D. Chardon, is that the intro to that book was written by Julian Huxley. So you, you see these, you know, these guys are interwoven together. Yes, I've noticed that as well. It's yeah. fascinating, yes. It's, really it's fascinating. a very good point um, to make. But yeah, so maybe maybe that's a good thing to talk about right now is Luciferianism. What are the central tenets that these people who are going to create this new religion... And one of the takeaways from your book, which is fantastic, is you can see that the push towards this new age religion, pushed by the elites, is going to be, I think come from a variety of different angles, Buddhists and Jesuit priests and humanists, you know, so they're all, it's, you know, Chardin is a Jesuit priest, so it's coming from different angles. Yes, that, 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 that's right, and I suppose it does run very, very deep. That's a brilliant point that you've made there, uh, William. So the Luciferian philosophy I go into in as in some detail, there are two basic types. You've either got theistic, i.e. they believe it and they believe in Lucifer as a an agent, perhaps not Satan, but a helper to man is what they believe. And that by being plugged in with knowledge and, and Lucifer, they can overcome all the problems of uh, uh, you know, man's existence and all the struggles, etc. But the other type of Luciferianism, which I think is more common, is metaphorical Luciferianism, where it, it, they take the belief in Lucifer as a metaphor. So a metaphor might be, for example, the mind is an ocean or the city. Uh, the city is a jungle. But just to give you a quick mm-hmm. bit of you know what a metaphor is. So yeah, they believe that when. Um, uh, Satan came to Eve, they did, did mankind a favor, and then, um, so that, that's me- metaphorical Luciferianism, and there's God within you, and that you can slowly come to uh, know God, and not only know God, but become a God, and that's what part of this is all about, and that's what the higher degree Freemasonry and other secret societies are aiming towards they are aiming for you to uh, be plugged in with lucifer and then eventually to become a god i mean that's what alistair crowley and lots of these other high-level occultists are basically all about right that's what crowley wrote in Libra 77 lever oz is there is no god but man so he flat out states it in a very simple axiom you know so yeah he believed he believed he had all kinds of powers and his magic would give people power and yeah i mean i think that that's really one yeah. of it is 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 godhead also aligned and that's one of the fascinating aspects is tying that in the godhead into transhumanism how people are going to change uh, possibly in the future and the mark of the beast you know is is tied into that yes well i i believe it could be we don't know 
what the mark of the beast is, but it would make some more sense for it to be some sort of DNA upgrade or some sort of system whereby you, you could literally download your mind into a robot and live like that. I, we we don't know, obviously, but um, I think it makes more sense in some ways for the mark of the beast to be along that sort of artificial intelligence line rather than simply an RFID chip, because I don't think you need RFID chips to find out where everyone is and where they're going. They've got a mobile phone. <laughs> so, and in England, you've got street cam, street, you know, um, cameras on every street corner. But um, they don't work yes. during. They only they only work. They work all the time, but they don't work during false flag attacks, right? Oh, <laughs> oh absolutely. It just happened to not be off that day. I mean, can you believe yeah, these yeah, people? Yeah. I mean, we had this classic one with Westminster Bridge. All the cameras weren't working on the day. Not only has our five-pound note got Westminster Bridge on it, it's also got a picture of Churchill. And Churchill looked pretty similar to Alistair Crowley. So there he is on the five-quid note in England. Outrageous. And you actually talk so, about um, false flag terror, terror as kind of one of the tools in the black bag of the New World Order, you know, how to, you know, the war on terror and all this stuff is uh, moving, pushing people towards an end. Yes, I'm, I'm pretty keen on hoaxes because if you don't understand and know about hoaxes, then you may well be deceived. And therefore, I think it's important to know of that. I do also make the point that we cannot be 100% certain that what is a hoax really is a hoax, which makes the whole subject just extraordinary. But uh, there are pointers to what is a hoax. And um, as I, I mentioned quite strongly uh, about uh, how there are very many different stories muddying up the waters is one of their systems and that there are possibly three basic stories or more to any I mean Sandy Hook or 9-11 or 7-7 just examples of these kind of hoaxes that there are many different levels at which they're promoted by the mainstream media um, but it's very difficult yeah it's I mean, very difficult. you, you but, talked about those hoaxes after a chapter about social engineering so I think you tie those you know these events together towards you know uh, these hoaxes being created to have a certain end, you know, a certain intent, whether it's the creation of the war on terror after 9-11 or, you know, 7-7. I mean, it's amazing that these are both high occult numbers. 7-7 there in, in London was, you know, right there. I was just talking about Libra Oz, Libra 77. And same as the flow of the flights on 9-11. So I do believe that these elites and their religion are using this numerology, you know, no question. Yes. It, it, it is true, and I noticed that in your book you mentioned the 12th of October date, which is um, Alistair Crowley's birthday, and uh, there are three of them, actually. There's the Titan bombing with Margaret Thatcher and Norman Tebbit, um, and then there are the two others that you mentioned in your book, which were the Bali bombing and the other one was the USS Cole. Right. So there are three of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's incredible. All these sophisticated uh, false flag terror attacks were on important numeral, numerological dates, as if they were planned for those dates. And I know that that may sound absolutely bad, but they've been doing this for 
hundreds of years. It's part of their system. How, where's the fun? <laughs> Not fun, but where's the, you know, what, what's the point of doing some event if, if no one knows about it? Of course, you want one or two people within your network to know about it. Right. So they've been using these ciphers and symbols and, and, and uh, gematria t- to numerology to do that for, for many centuries and so they're not stopping now no no i mean it's always been happening i think uh salvador allende was overthrown on 9 september 11th 71 kissinger was very involved in that i can't remember the exact year that allende was overthrown and then i believe i I can't have it proved but i believe the groundbreaking for the pentagon was 9-11-1941 so you know these are going back yeah i wonder how far much farther back in history you can see these dates, you know, important things happening on these dates, structured events. Yes, it's something I'm looking at. And, uh, yeah, I'm so busy. I'm trying to write something else at the moment. So it's just something on the back burner a bit. But well, yeah. we kind of come together. You know, if you, once your mind is knows that these events are happening, they kind of, things fall into place, you know, like, oh, I, I learned about Allende reading something totally different. I said, hey, is that September 11th? Oh, there's another September 11th. That was an important event, you know, installing yes. Benache and basically destroyed that whole socialist plan of Allende and just right. you know, their secret death camps and death squads and horrible event in Chile. So, um, right. Yeah. Let's yeah. see. What else do you think is a good thing to cover? You know, we're at about 36 minutes. I usually go about 50. Yeah. I think 9-11, it's important to, and I hope that this isn't too divisive a thing to bring up, but I just want to mention about the no planes thing on 9-11, because you can never really break free from the sort of occult mind control technique or or deep psychology of 9-11 until you understand what really did happen that day and so um i put in my book that you know there weren't any any planes uh on that day going into any buildings and that all of them were hoaxes and that the so-called eyewitness accounts all of them i wasn't there by the way so i've had this i've had this debate with a friend of mine um you know but uh they all of these eyewitness accounts are 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 false and the picture of the plane going into the uh, south tower uh, is the just simply the deletion of the pixels as it goes in it's absolutely impossible for a plane to penetrate um, any building so uh, i think it's important to try to reach our own conclusions on that very big issue but um yeah, I mean, just yeah, I mean that's the, uh, the the Pentagon, for example. They don't have any wreckage of the plane, and there was the guy. I don't know if you're familiar with this. I don't remember seeing it in the book, but the Harley man who was talking to Fox News. Do you ever see that guy? He had a Harley huh. T-shirt, but he was right there at the front and had the storyline down to a T. I saw a plane <laughs> hit the. T- I mean, it was incredible. He's obviously a plant. He was obviously a plant. They walked up to him totally. I mean, it's part of the fake news. Right. I saw the plane hit the tower. Then it collapsed on itself. It must have collapsed on itself, and he had the he had the strike. And there's all kinds of foreshadowing to 9/11 in modern culture. Uh, if you if you keep an eye out for it, it's really there. I mean, I, I am working on something that I think a lot of people will be very surprised at all the hints at that event. Like people knew that date, so 
You know, it's like what you're yes. talking about. Like this is the struggle, and those numbers are are also markers for people to know what the agenda is. You know, if the insiders all know, okay, this is what happened. But yeah, um, and that you know that event also, it's very important to know, understand that these are traumatizing events. They're meant to be traumatizing to the population because one, and I don't, I'm not, I can't say I'm a psychologist, but once people are in a traumatic state, they're suggestible. So the trauma nice. and then the suggestion. So you traumatize people. A lot of people are dead. Buildings are exploded. And then you go, Osama bin Laden, Iraq, you know, and they just go, yeah, let's go. And they're kind of semi-hypnotized, if not fully hypnotized. I don't know. But I, I myself, I wish I could say that I knew right away that 9-11 was an inside job. I didn't. So, I mean, I was one of them. Yeah, let's, you know, bin Laden. Yeah. I mean, I was right there with the whole team, you know, so. Um, it's Don't worry. I, we're going to be so much more wise if they try and do that sort of thing again. Yeah. It's you know, and they are they're all wise now. Yeah. I mean, there's some of these these some of these events are not sticking. You know, some of these school shootings and yes. I mean, once you I mean, it, it, there's elements within the government that can create these very elaborate theatrical events, and um, you know, false flag. It's a, some of these are false flags. So, nine eleven is one. Yes. Of them. It's a bit like going to a magic show and someone produces, uh, d- does a card trick right in front of you and you're ready to be duped. You're quite enjoying waiting to be duped because it's entertainment. Right. And then, oh, lo and behold, the card just becomes behind, right behind your ear, you know. Right. And, of course, they can't do that on a political or they can't, the services, they can't do that. You know, they're not, you know, see what I'm saying? I'm being a bit sarcastic to make my point yeah. that it's all an illusion. A lot of the stuff that is going on today um, is is an illusion and we need to be a lot more um, wised up to it. I agree. And... I I, I kind of mention in the book that the way one of the ways in which they can take us into their new kingdom and their managed society with with us with a, with a religion that's to- totally grayed out, eventually they're going to have to sort of collapse the economic system or to bring us into Agenda Twenty One, and I also mention about the uh, fake alien invasion that uh, this is probably one of their um, best ways in which to get mankind all on the same sort of sheet, pulling in the same direction, uh, and for to give up their sovereignty and their bombs and, and all be joined together. Yeah, it's interesting you brought that up, because that, that in more kind of these kind of alternate media circles, there's a lot of ufology as a study, and people talking about these extra-dimensional or terrestrial people, and they're, you know, there's... Uh, there's enough credulous people to believe it's happened. What was the story? There was the book. Oh, God. I can't remember. Uh, the, yeah, H.G. Wells. He yeah. wrote a book, The War of the Worlds, didn't oh, he? And yes. um, I live not that far from Woking. And in, 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 in England, in Woking, there are some War, War of the World tripod um, alien uh, <laughs> um, statues, believe it or not, amazingly. So um, there was another uh, one that I'm trying to remember it was by the guy who wrote 2001 um, oh, yes. Clark wrote a book about an alien invasion that changed the world and it kind of transformed everything and man gets uh, cha- uh, basically changed and then uploaded into something else it's pretty remarkable that was another one I can't remember the title of that yes uh, well 
Yes, Arthur C. Clarke, he's very much sort of on the fringe of this subject, but um, he is, you know, he was a crypto cryptocracy member himself, so Absolutely. he probably Absolutely. He knew. Yeah, he and, uh, and Kubrick, you know. 2001, there's ties in between 2001, yes. the cryptocracy, and 9-11. You know, this whole monolith, yes. the monolithic buildings. There's a deep, very deep, uh, com, you know, thing. I think the the... the the book I was talking is The Sentinel, I think is what it was. No, no, no. I can't remember which book. Right. Clark. Anyway. But yeah, he's part of the cryptography. And uh, a pedophile basically moved to Sri Lanka so that, you know, his, he could find victims. That was one of the reasons why he had moved there. And yes. Kubrick himself, there are stories about Kubrick that I'm reading that are horrifying. So um, Arthur C. Clarke and him are... Uh, childhood's End, that was it. That's the book I was trying right. to remember. So, yeah. So, these guys, Clark, Kubrick, 9-11, it's hard to, for people to believe, but those are those are things that you can tie those together. Yes, and so, yeah, it's very much, everything does kind of link in the more you look at it, and it's not because uh, the cryptocracy, they're very keen to link things in, yes, and if they true. can, they will. And their religion is its mentioned in the Bible with the 666 number, uh, the numerology, because Christianity doesn't really have um, numerology in it. There are references to 12 baskets yes. representing yes. 12 tribes and this sort of thing. But, um, uh, yeah, so the cryptocracy are into numerology. And um, but the precise situation of their religion we don't know. But I think the thelemic link is quite interesting. Alistair Crowley link. It seems to be there because that's your your subject. Well, I just knew that's how I kind of got into Crowley was through nine eleven because the ninety threes I kept seeing all over the place, and then I, I realized thelema and agape were to the. I mean, thelemic is thelema, which is a ninety three in gematria. So. That was really, that's how I got started going that Crowley was through 9-11, so that was it. I mean, those, that in 77 was a huge number. And 175 is, uh, uh, you know, there's a common way in the worship of Lucifer is the God you adore. You know, adore, you know, if you're supposed to adore Satan or Lucifer, and 175 is that, you know, which God, you can adore your God. So that's the meaning, I believe, of uh, Flight 175. So all those numbers of those... Uh, things come together and you know the buildings themselves are a huge 11 they're both representatives of things in magic which are opposites and uh, fusing opposites together so you can kind of see that and you put that in your book right so the two buildings become yes. one the, one the two buildings becoming one which is part of uh, hegel's dialect but also hegel apparently got that from the kabbalist uh, isaac oh. luria wow. that's where it I didn't know that. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I did, so it's a magical, it's a magical uh, phrase or axioms, I guess. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know that that he got that. Wow. Um. So uh, we're coming to the end. Why don't you tell people where they can get in touch with you, where they can buy your book and your website? Yes. Well, um, I'm. On Facebook at uh, Regeneration, and the best way to find me is to type in the search New World Rel, R-E-L being short for religion, obviously, and then I'm on Twitter at um, New, New World Rel as well. So 
And the you book said, is on. Yeah, you said the regeneration, right? The regeneration. Yes, the regeneration, which is a reference to Matthew. That in the book of Matthew, in the Bible, when all things uh, are sort of before, before the new heaven and the new earth, there will be the annual rule of Christ. And so, on the on the front cover of the book, we've got the the nasty. Uh, Illuminati triangle but behind that we've got the new heaven and the new earth with the, the new Jerusalem coming down it's not the new heaven and the new earth it's, it's the new Jerusalem right. and that is a, is a reference to the regeneration and uh, it's, it's a term that uh, um, uh, Jesus used it's it's actually similar in the Aramaic to um, the first word of the Bible uh, Bereshith anyway it's all linked yeah, that's great. No, that's a great reference. So the regeneration that's on um, Facebook, and then how can they find your book? Yes, the book is on Amazon, and uh, it's on Amazon.com. If you put the New World Religion James Musker, it will come up, and it's twelve dollars forty nine for the paperback, and for the Kindle, it's only five dollars fifty one cents. So I've I've tried to keep it. At, as, as, as cheap as possible so that people can read it because I'm very keen that people should know this information because it really is very very important um, to have a, have some understanding of this particularly you, you know as we enter into what what Christians call the end times which is the belief that you know, the, the, the culmination of history is slowly approaching and uh, it could happen at any time that this extraordinary change that we're going through actually does happen and so um excellent well, that, i hope yeah. people read it too it's an excellent book you know you put a lot of uh different pieces together into uh a book that's really fantastic so i commend you for writing it again the title is the new world religion and the beliefs of the elite by james musker m-u-s-k-e-r and uh, any final words well, thank you very much for uh, having me, William, William Ramsey, and also the odd Ed Opperman uh, show. Thank you very much. And just uh, keep the faith, everyone. Don't get into Alistair Crowley because that's just a, a rabbit warren to hell. I tell you, it's I, 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 you know, I've, I've been looking at that as well. I, I have to pray a lot that it's not going to have any effect on me because it's it's pretty hardcore stuff. That guy. I just don't go there. Well, I, call, I called him the prophet of evil, so you know I tried to make it very clear. He yeah. thought he was the prophet of a new age, but his ideas were definitely evil and malevolent and pestilential to any person who gets in contact with him. So I definitely agree with you there. Again, James Musker, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay.